0: Hello, college football fans. Welcome to episode 93 of College Football Throwdown. I'm your co host, Alex Schmitz, and today I'm joined as always by my dad, Peter
1: Schmitz. Hello, college football fans and Husker fans.
0: Hello, hello. Uh, for those who may be listening to this podcast for the first time, uh, we are a father son duo that are uh, both fans of college football and the Nebraska Corn Huskers. And we sit down here every week to do a podcast by college football fans for college football fans uh, discussing what's happened with our Huskers this week as well as the wider college football landscape. And after the longest, most painful wait that we have ever had to uh, experience, we finally had our first Nebraska football game this weekend and it was nice to be back, wasn't it?
1: It was. I mean, I I, I genuinely... Enjoy just being able to watch those guys go out on the field and uh, and you know uh, play the sport that we love to to enjoy and they love to play and um, you know although the outcome wasn't what we would have desired it wasn't necessarily a surprise either.
0: Yeah, one interesting thing to note um, because obviously the Big Ten that started playing this weekend uh, everybody is playing with no fans in the stadium. Um, but because most of the time you're just seeing the field and the sidelines anyways, and you don't really see shots of wide shots of the stadium, unless, you know, they explicitly show it. Um, and they had the like audience noise, you know, like pre-recorded audience noise pumping through. I don't yeah. Know that's that was... weird. Well, I don't know if it was on the, just on the TV broadcast or if that was in the stadium too. Um, no, but...
1: I believe it is in the stadium too.
0: Okay. Well, uh, at least for uh, for the TV experience, I think that does help because, you know, uh, you don't notice as much, you know, that anything is that different. It, it, like, like I said, until they show the shots of the stands, you see they're mostly empty, you know, then obviously you do. <laughs> right. uh, but but right. for the players in the stadium, I know that must come off as feeling much more fake. And, you know, it definitely is
1: a very different vibe for them. Right. I agree, but you know, they, uh, they asked the players about that and the players all basically said, yeah, it's weird in the moments where you're not playing the moments when the football isn't being played. That's weird when you're playing, you know, actually out there on the field, it, they don't even hardly notice, you know, they're still just trying to do their job. Right.
0: Yep. Which, I mean, and that's what you want them to say. You want them to be focused on what they've got to do. Um, so, of course, Nebraska played against Ohio State this week, our, uh, our tough first game of the season. Um, and uh, the game got off to an amazing start where we got the ball to start the first half and had a drive where in four plays we ran it down 75 yards and scored. It was like, oh, man, here we go. You know, this is the start to the season that you
1: like to see. <laughs> uh, absolutely. I, actually, I think a, a good, well, the whole first half, was a game that was competitively played on both sides. And frankly, if, uh, if we don't, you know, make some blunders, uh, both as a coaching staff and by our players uh, at the end of the half, uh, then we, we go into halftime 17-14, and it's very much a real game.
0: Right. Because, yeah, you may remember near the end of the second half, Ohio State had a good drive, but then our defense stopped them uh, pretty close in the, in the red zone, um, which forced them to kick a field goal. Um, and then, uh, we got the ball back at, at, you know, standard, like at the 20, 25, uh, and then we made a really bonehead mistake, letting a delay of game somehow happen, which put us back to first and 15. And from there, uh, we just weren't able to get anything going, got like sacked, had to punt. And then, uh, the falling drive by Ohio state, our defense wasn't able, you know, they weren't, they weren't to have much time to rest. So. Uh, they weren't able to slow them down too much, and then and then they came in and scored, and then all of a sudden, I would say it's up by ten points going to the half. Whereas if we had just Correct. gotten two first downs and run out the clock and gone to halftime down by three, I think that would definitely be a, a big victory, you know, for the team. Um, but right, that and, little, it, and it, yeah,
1: and it might have inspired, uh, it might have inspired some different, you know, approaches to the second half in terms of what what kind of. Play calling you could do what? What kind of defense? Uh, uh, you know, confidence you had th- those kinds of things. Because then they came out, of course, uh, because we received the ball first to begin the game. They got it for the beginning of the second half, and they were able to move down and score. And now it's not a ten point, seventy point lead, and and now now you're in trouble. Right.
0: And um, um, there were some uh, questionable, two questionable penalties that were called against us in that whole sequence that uh, helped Ohio state yes. out that I'm sure many Nebraska yes. fans will point out and legitimately. Uh, however, I come back to the fact that we made the first mistake by that stupid delay of game. And as the announcers pointed out, um, we kind of struggled whenever we had something kind of bad go against us on that f- uh first down play, you know, and we were on second down and long then or whatever. Um, right. Because then, you know, we needed to just kind of pass it long and we were struggling to right. do that. But when we right. were able to do what we were doing, get a little, a little yard uh, run, you know, like get five yards on a first down run, you know, that for then from there, our, our offense really got into a good groove. And even in the second half, um, there were some drives where we were moving the ball against them nicely oh, uh, only to then fumble it.
1: Hmm. I, I totally agree. Yeah. If you take away those kinds of mistakes and and you just look at the at the execution of the offense by our at the line of scrimmage, uh, we, we were actually having pretty darn good success. And I and I don't know whether to attribute that to the fact that it was the first game for Ohio State, too, and they had a lot of new defensive starters and they may not be as good defensively as as they will be as that talent that they have matures. But I, I would tell you right now, Ohio state's defense did not look to me to be at championship level, right? Their offense looked pretty damn good, uh, but their defense did not now. And, and, and I would say something else about, uh, about um, how their offense looked against our defense. People are, are, are really kind of ripping our, our, our defensive uh, performance in some uh, circles, but, and, and, and I would absolutely agree that uh, it, you know, there's a lot criticized about how we played defensively because you, you, you can't ignore the fact that, you know, uh, J- Justin Fields, the Ohio State quarterback, had one incompletion. And frankly, that was a dropped ball. So, I mean, there was not there there was not one play in which, you know, one of our defenders or our 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 defensive pass rush could, you know, have sufficiently disrupted the pass. To where it would it would fall incomplete. They did hit the ball a couple times on uh, getting their hands up, but the guy still caught it. (laughs) Yeah, you know. So I mean, and and some of the catches, uh, including a a, a, you know some spectacular touchdown catches, were made by the receivers from Ohio State. They they just have phenomenal talent. There's no doubt. But we were playing an awful lot of uh, off zone. Basically, we were giving them a lot of cushion. We were keeping everything in front of us and and we were not pressuring them now the, the 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 logic of that was to um when you play zone it 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 gives you two things and then you ha- and then you're giving up something right when you play a zone you're giving up uh in many cases the ability to be physical with the receivers and knocking them off their routes and you're giving up being close to a receiver you know as you man to man cover them right when you zone cover you're covering a space and the hope is is that Uh, because of that, your players can be looking into the backfield of uh, the offense from the snap of the football. They're not focused on that individual one-on-one matchup with the receiver. So their ability to be a part of the running game, uh, stopping the run, is much better when you're playing zone. You can attack the line of scrimmage much quicker and much more effectively. And the hope and expectation is if you're playing a zone, that you're going to be able to potentially confuse the uh, quarterback from the offense and or have him throw into a space where he doesn't see everybody that's in the zone and and then one of your defenders steps in and and has an interception so a zone is designed to to increase the number of turnovers you get in the form of interceptions um, in exchange for maybe giving up some of those uh shorter pass plays it's also going to make sure that the other team has to march it down the field you know there 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 was one or two big pass plays and um and that was just great execution by um their quarterback. In fact, the first one, the one the one where he threw it deep and he drew our safety up uh with a great fake, uh was the play after he had um gone down on a knee and they didn't call it. You remember that play? Oh yes, yes. Where where he, he was scrambling around Uh, we basically were, were getting pressure on him, but he was able to twist and turn and ended up converting a negative play into a somewhat positive play for them. But the thing that was significant about it is that, that that positive play shouldn't have never happened because he was on his knee and they did not even review it. And then it was like, whatever it was, third down and a foot, uh, after they placed the ball wrongly in the spot where he eventually was tackled. But they didn't even review that play. The play was not even reviewed because Ohio State got up to the line of scrimmage really quick, snapped the ball again, and the refs apparently didn't see that he'd gone down on a knee. Right. You know, and and, and it's just little plays like that, okay, that that's nothing that Nebraska did wrongly. It's the refs missed it. And, you know, it is what it is. They they missed it.
0: Yep. Well, and uh, I I believe it was uh, it was like second down at a yard or something like that, because it, it definitely wasn't yeah. a third down. because I don't think they would have gone for the long pass if it was a, a third
1: down. Play. You know, you're right. You're, you, um, it may, may not. Have. But
0: but you're right. Like the commentators were even calling it out when they looked, watched the Insta replay. They're like, oh, he's down. Are they going to say anything? And then they didn't. Um, and then they didn't. Yep. yep which, Classic. Yep. Which was significant. Um, and you're right. Uh, they there really weren't that many, you know, like huge big pass plays, you know, like we have had right. go against us in the past playing right. Ohio State. Uh, but I honestly kind of wonder why the Ohio State offensive coordinator didn't just th- a call a pass on every play because, like you said, like he was – Joseph Fields was not missing, and they're, they were just dinking and dunking us, you know, for like these 15-yard well, games. because,
1: you know, as, a, as an offensive team, as an offensive coordinator, you go into a game with a game plan. And you want to execute execute your game plan. And just because one part of your game uh, plan is working really well doesn't mean you abandon the rest of it. You might lean more heavily onto that particular part of the game plan, which they did. I mean, they they did throw the ball a number of times uh, until they got a a big enough lead that then they were just trying to run the clock out and and get out of there without too many injuries and stuff, right? So they, um, but... uh, so they never stopped running their offense. I I guess would be my statement. They they didn't they didn't stop running their offense, but um um yeah, they were having tremendous success throwing the football, no doubt, because he's he's a very accurate thrower. He has incredible receivers. And we chose to play a defensive scheme on uh for this for this particular game that uh, basically because we were clearly not confident that our secondary personnel could match their team speed. Those wide receivers would have ran right past our guys if we played man to man or at least it appears that that's what our defensive coaches thought.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well, and uh, to go on a positive, um I was uh, pretty impressed by the improvement I saw in the line play both on the offense and the defense compared to last year, uh, particularly on the offensive side and that you know we had a couple of, you know, like third and one type plays you know where our line got the push you know and we got we got the the yards easily against you know a good ohio state defense obviously and even then the defensive line uh, we generally did a good job of stopping the run like they really weren't able to get it consistently going until you know maybe near the end of the game um so those were some areas where i saw some improvement as well as um Adrian Martinez's general decision-making and, you know, when he chose to run versus when he chose to pass and things like that. Um, And what we were able to execute with having him and McCaffrey out there then as like a running back and receiver um, showed uh, that there's a lot of uh, good prospects for our offense. But of course we need to cut down on those mistakes, like those costly fumbles that we mentioned earlier.
1: Yeah. I mean, I, I don't, I don't understand. You know, those guys, if, if your quarterbacks are going to be running the football, they need to be able to behave like a running back. And that means when, once you turn up field and you're getting into traffic, you need to secure the football. Okay. It's no, you know, the, 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 the threat of an option is over. You've made the decision now secure the football. Okay. And, um, and in both of those guys cases, when they were running, you know, the, the, the plays that, that led to our turnovers, neither one of them was securing the football properly. And uh, and and that is an absolute must to minimize the number of turnovers that you have, especially against a good team. You yeah. know, like like Ohio State.
0: And you recall and, when McCaffrey got brought in because Adrian's helmet had a malfunction. Uh, he immediately fumbled the snap, and you know, thankfully was able yeah. to fall on it, and nothing bad happened. But uh, that was not a good way to start for him.
1: No, I agree. I agree. And speaking of uh, you know, I, I was very pleased with our offensive line play, per, particularly, but also happy with the defensive line. Just like you said, uh, the one caveat or one exception to that would be uh, the uh, the bad snap bugaboo reemerged in this game, and I'm I'm really hopeful that that gets addressed this week. We can't we can't have um, uh, Cameron Jurgens, you know, spend half the season. Getting settled into the consistent snapping thing again. He's got to be able to be more consistent. Yeah, and that's that's one of those things where not having spring practice was a killer for us, because Cameron ne- Cameron needed as many of those opportunities to snap, including a whole spring game where he would have had 80 or 90 more snaps against live football, uh, and maybe a couple of other scrimmages. So he might have had a you know two or three hundred snaps of live scrimmage football during the, during the spring, if he had had a spring, but he yeah. didn't.
0: Yeah. To, uh, to his credit, it definitely uh, did not look as bad as that points at last season. I only saw, uh, you know, maybe like four high snaps, you know, across oh, the game, well, there, but, but
1: it wasn't just high snaps though, but it was snaps to the left snaps to the right. I mean, um, uh, again, another reason to praise Adrian is that I think he does a better job of handling that frankly, that's one of the things that he does better than uh, McCaffrey. Uh, than McCaffrey, just because he's got a lot more experience with it, and he's a bigger, bigger guy, right? He's six two or so, and he's got you know longer arms and everything, and so he's got a little bit wider wingspan to reach and grab grab those damn crazy snaps. But Jugens has got to fix that part. Although I will tell you, his his line blocking was was really quite good. I thought he played pretty well uh, against some pretty salty defensive lineman at center. So that that's a good, that's a positive for for him as well.
0: So the final score of the game ended up being 52 17. You know, we were close in the first half competitive, but in the second half uh, do those, those fumbles kind of costing us those good drives we had. And then uh, their offense just executing. And there was that particularly amazing catch by that receiver where we thought it was out. And then you saw just the very tip of his toe, Touched in bounds, and I was like, "Okay, that was an NFL move right there." That was that, impressive. Well,
1: yeah, uh, you need both feet in to be a, I, a touchdown <laughs> in the NFL, but but his body control that he demonstrated in that is absolutely NFL caliber. And the amazing thing is, I think that kid's a freshman.
0: Oh wow! Um, <laughs> but uh, there's one other topic we wanted to discuss in terms of this Ohio State game, which got quite a bit of uh, talk from the commentators and Nebraska fans both during the game and then after it as well. Uh, which was the targeting calls um, that were made by the uh, referee team on this game. Um, you might recall that uh, the first one was one where it kind of might have looked bad, and I understand the ref's calling it in the moment, uh, but in the replay it was very clear that it was a shoulder-to-shoulder you know, impact. Um, and it wasn't targeting and thankfully that was overturned. So I was like, okay, you know, that, 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 that when, when that happened, in the game I was like, okay, good that they're, they're following the rules here. Um, but then there were two other targetings that came later, uh, which went against us and were definitely not, you know, the, uh, the egregious kind where it's clear they were in that gray area. And that got the commentators talking and about, like, does it have all of the elements of targeting? Like, it has launching, but does it have X? And so that got the two of us kind of going down this little rabbit hole of what the official rules are and how it's supposed to be enforced and all that sort of stuff. Um, so I went ahead and downloaded the official NCAA book for 2020. And on page 94, under Rule 9... <laughs> There mm-hmm. are two particular sections about the uh, targeting, which is article 3 and article 4. Um, and the article three is about targeting and making forcible contact with the crown of the helmet, whereas article four is targeting making forcible contact to head or neck area of a defenseless player, uh, which the if basically if you target and make forcible contact with the crown of the helmet to anywhere, whether it doesn't matter where it is, whether it's to the other players, Uh, neck or not um, then uh, it doesn't matter as long as then one of the indicators of targeting is there then that can be called Uh, whereas with the targeting above the head or neck area for a defenseless player that's the second category Um, so you know that kind of helps to uh, distinguish him Uh, but the the most important part is that um, because there's certain rules for what a defenseless player is. We can go into that, but uh, I, I don't want to. Uh, but the most important part is that there needs, according to the official rules, there needs to be one indicator of targeting that include... And, and what are the indicators? The, the, so reading from the rule book here, some indicators of targeting include but are not limited to launch a player leaving his feet to attack an opponent by an upward and forward thrust of the body to make forcible contact in the head or neck area. Number two, a crouch followed by an upward and forward thrust to attack with forcible contact at the head or neck area, even though one or both feet are still on the ground. Three leading with helmet, shoulder, forearm, fist, hand, or elbow to attack with forcible contact at the head or neck area and 4 lowering the head before attacking by initiating forcible contact with the crown of the helmet. So those okay. are those, are, so the four those particular... are the
1: four Okay. And and in in our conversation, you know, I sent you a pictures photographs of other plays from the Ohio State Nebraska game of Ohio State players colliding directly with the helmet to the helmet okay of a Nebraska player. Not called. Uh there was a uh, there were examples similar in fact, far more um, uh, obvious that that the elements that you just described were present in the Tennessee Alabama game, not called, okay? Uh, just say that Nebraska with two ejections leads the country after one week of playing football, leads the, all all of college football in number of ejections as a team. yep and okay? so what what does that tell you? About, about either, number one, you're telling me that Nebraska's that much worse than everybody else, even though some of these other teams have already played six frickin' games, right? <laughs> They're in week six, week seven, whatever, and we're in week one, and we get two guys, two of our starters ejected because of that. And, and both of them are arguably wrong calls. And in fact, there were a number of people, including – you know, not only uh, the, the, the broadcasters, Gus Johnson and Joel Klatt, but their, uh, the Fox Sports Broadcast Team's um, uh, refereeing expert also in- suggested that, that the, the call was wrong. Uh, uh, and then, you know, past, past uh, um, players like Reggie Bush, Charles Woodson uh, from Michigan, Damon Benning, of course, from Nebraska, uh, Rob Zadiska, uh, Bill Shammert all saying, how the hell are you supposed to tackle? If that's not a tackle, how are you supposed to tackle? Right. So the, there was an awful lot of people, other than just Nebraska fans or the Nebraska team, complaining about these particular examples.
0: Right. Well, and the one you're particularly referring to that a lot of those players reacted reacting to was the second one where yes. – it, it it was it was a defenseless player cuz it was a receiver that had to jump up to get a high ball and then our guy came in and whacked it but it was a hard hit but yes, when you watch the replay he is clearly he like he's flipping his body to like turn his si- side to him so he's really kind of hitting him in his shoulder area right. with like his shoulder/back slash basically and um, he
1: approached it low the fact that that guy was falling downward Right. He was falling forward and falling down towards the ground. And so he ended up hitting him in the chest uh, and shoulders area, but not by his own doing. You know, that player was coming down to him. Does that make sense? Right.
0: Well, and that kind of gets into what I talked to you about after the game, which is. Uh, that was the first, the second one. And then the first one was one where it was very clearly helmet to helmet contact between the there two was. players as yep. a running back or quarterback was going down. Uh, but it was, you know, very incidental at, at the end. It was not a like heavy blow. No, but no. there but, was, there but, was
1: no intent whatsoever Right. to yes. use the helmet as a, as a spearing or a targeting Uh, you know, the crown of the helmet as a, as a weapon, basically. Right. That was not at all present. Right.
0: However, um, once again, when I looked at these rules, I had to conclude that if you're supposed to follow the letter of the law of these rules, then the refs were correct because, uh, there was launching at a defense the, the the in the second case our player definitely did launch you know he he, right. he jumped well, his, up and, yeah he
1: was off the feet his yes. feet were off the ground his feet were yep. off the
0: ground and he hit a defenseless player now where I guess you, the, the 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 debate comes down was like was really in the head or neck area uh, right it, wasn't it was like not the crown of the helmet and I would say yeah, that was not um, but that's that and then with the first one it's like well it wasn't bad it wasn't like with negative intent you know and it 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 was kind of incidental near the end but it doesn't matter because the two crowns of the helmet connected and he did you know hit lead with his helmet so you know
1: that but he only need he led he led with his shoulder and then because of the movement of the offensive player they collided helmets right it was incidental it was incidental it was helmet to helmet but it was incidental and not necessarily initiated by the tackler, by the defensive player. It was initiated by the movement of the offensive player who then collided into the uh, defensive player who was simply trying to make a tackle. Right. Uh, th- that, that's the part that, you know, and I get it. We're, we're watching this in slow motion, et cetera, et cetera, and those refs have to make this call in real time, and these are very, very good fast-twitch athletes and this is all bang bang stuff. I get that, but that's where the rule has to change so that those referees can be armed with an option that allows them to differentiate, that allows them the flexibility to do that. And and as um, Joel Klatt, who was very uh, uh, vociferous about it, uh, emphasized, was that you know back when he was a quarterback in both college and the NFL, um, the the burden was on the on the quarterback. To make sure that he did not hang his receiver out to dry was the term right you don't throw the ball in an area okay you choose not to make that throw because if you do you know you're you might hurt your uh, uh, your receiver right so that that guy's got to be a little more open now with this rule quarterbacks are putting their receivers in that situation because uh of this rule exists and they're they're throwing balls into spots that they shouldn't be throwing Right. And the fact is there were generations of quarterbacks who learned how to avoid that, right? Who who would learn by practice not to throw that ball. Right. Now
0: right. Well, not to say that quarterbacks, they are purposefully, you know, putting their their receivers in bad situations. But, you know, when when a play gets a little interrupted and you have to make the throw to get the first down, you're going to do it, you know. And now knowing that, uh, you know, if your guy takes a big hit, well, it it might go back on the other team. And so it's a risk worth taking. Um, Well,
1: uh, yeah, I don't know how much that is being processed in the head of the it's more (laughs) about are they practicing and, and are they being coached? What are they being coached? What's the all those hundreds, thousands, really, of repetitions where in the past a, a quarterback coach would have been telling that quarterback, don't do that. Right. Now and, he's not telling
0: him that. And one more thing I want to emphasize here is that in 2019, uh, they did update the rules for targeting so that uh, it, the only options are confirm or uh, to confirm the call or to overrule it. Um, right. There's, there's no, no stand. Right. There's no this call stands as called is no longer allowed by the replay official, um, which is, you know, a good change. Uh, however, in this on the yeah. rules, when it's talking about these indicators, uh, it mentions there must be at least one. It's not a combination of those factors I listed. They only need one indicator and it says when in question, it is a foul. So if it right. is in question so about the one the indicator... Safety. Right. Yep. default on the side of safety and I think what yep. we and the other commentators uh, and people out there are saying is fair enough we understand the need to protect players and and be aware of concussions and the problems that can create long term for these athletes uh, but when the this particular rule and only this particular rule involves the ejection of a player, Um, Right. Potentially into the next week's game as well for a half, as is the case for our two players now. um, There should be some sort of way to qualify it where is there intent or are there uh, multiple factors, multiple indicators combined? And if if those are the case, then the player does get ejected. But if those are not the case, then it's a 15 yard penalty and we move on. You know, I think something like that but the player
1: doesn't get ejected. Right. Yeah. There should be an option. There should be an option where you can you can still have the the penalty for you can call it something else, excessive roughness or something like that. Or you could give it another name, whatever. But give the referees another, um, you know, tool in the toolbox, so to speak, that they can use for those in-between calls that they feel they need to have, uh, or give better definition to the rule so that uh, the uh, they can differentiate the ones that are incidental and um, part of the game, and neither none of those intents or circumstances were present that we needed to protect, uh, and it just happened. It just you know. It just happened, right, and, and, and let and that a,
0: happen. And a change like that needs to be amended and put in the official rules, not just left up to the discretion of referees. Because as we're seeing, you know, right. they may have all been told to, uh, you know, try to right. be extra thorough when it comes to these and not be willy nilly about targeting. Uh, but right. you know, there are examples, like you said, within the SEC where oh. those Big Ten oh. refs definitely would have flagged that, but they didn't. You know,
1: right, right. Oh, and 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 that has been the case for a while now is um, I think that big 10 refs have tended to be way more conservative and may, way more lean on the side of safety than, than the refs in a lot of these other conferences, because the amount of that, that I saw, again, I, I could go back to the previous week's Alabama game, which I watched uh, and to the um, uh, Alabama Georgia game is what I'm referring to. And, and, oh my gosh, there were three or four hits. That that absolutely could have fallen into these categories. So, anyway, um, I know we've spent more time than we probably intended to already on this, but <laughs> but it's uh, yep. it's one of those things that definitely needs to be addressed. But uh, at the end of the day, how what does Nebraska got to do? They've got to continue to coach better tackling because we we can't have guys doing that. Yep, it's just the bottom line. Yep, it, it,
0: it does fall on our coaching staff, and I'm not saying that you know these targeting calls uh, changed the game. Like we would have lost even if those calls had gone our
1: way or whatever. But it, um, but it, it likely would have been it likely would have been maybe a little closer. Yes, maybe one touchdown doesn't happen because of that. You know, because th- th- those were huge penalties.
0: Yep, and the, at least one of them I think came on a third down scenario where they would have punted otherwise. So, yeah, they there there were at. Inopportune moments. Um, So now moving off of the Nebraska talk and getting more into the national side of things, on our last podcast, we gave predictions for what was then the week seven of college football. And um, the big game of marquee game of that week was Georgia-Alabama. Um, which I did end up watching. Uh, it was kind of I was doing something else, but I was watching the game. Um, it was a good competitive game in the first half, but then uh, in the second half, Alabama made adjustments, and Georgia really uh, didn't do much after that., uh, the final score of the game ended up being forty one twenty four to Alabama. I predicted thirty eight twenty four, whereas you predicted thirty five thirty one. So I think i uh, I win that particular one. So I pre- yes, you do. I correctly predicted how much Georgia would score, and Alabama got three more than I was expecting.
1: <laughs>
0: so, um, yeah, you know, once again, no no big surprise. Alabama's looking good. Once again, they're going to compete for a uh, national championship this year, for sure. Um, and uh, it was interesting. Georgia... I remember, yeah, Georgia really had some good stuff going defensively early on. You know, they are finding good ways of like stuffing Alabama, but uh, they couldn't keep that up for the whole game, which is you know kind of typical of Saban playing against his uh, former
1: coaches, his former assistants. Right. Uh, it's that's it's an amazing, it's an amazing thing, isn't it?
0: Yeah. Because I. I think what, I think it, they showed a stat that he was like seven and one against Kirby smart or something like that.
1: He said, um, uh, I think that's true, but and I think he's like 23 and one against former assistants. I mean, it's, it's, it's crazy. Like, I think, I think Kirby Smart's the only one that's beat him. If it, you know what I mean? It's just ridiculous. It's like, right. he's got some voodoo spell over him.
0: <laughs> yeah. Um, and we also predicted the LSU Florida game. Um, however, that game actually didn't end up going down, I believe, because uh, Florida had a serious COVID outbreak within their team, and thus were not able right. to play the game. Yep. <laughs> Which you know that's something that uh, we're gonna have to deal with this season, as we exactly kind of go along.
1: Well, and there's a there's a uh, a developing situation, and we'll get to that a little bit later when we start talking about Wisconsin uh, along these same lines. So. Yep.
0: Um, uh, one other shock was that uh, South Carolina beat 15th ranked Auburn in that week, 30 to 22. So kind of an upset within the sec there.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And um, um, also in, in the big 12, kind of some interesting things, a, a, a tremendous uh, close game between Iowa state and Oklahoma state, which I think is going to go a long way towards doing two things. One, if Oklahoma State's for real, since they won that game, they're kind of more in the driver's seat now. Uh, but um, but they still have to play both Texas and OU, whereas Iowa State already had one of those victories in their in their pocket. Mm-hmm. Um, and then Kansas State also continued to win. So all of a sudden, if you're looking for a a uh, Big Twelve team that wins the Big Twelve that's not named Oklahoma or Texas then the last two bastions of hope for that to happen are Kansas state or Oklahoma state. And the door is now reopened for Oklahoma because they, uh, they were able to beat uh, TCU uh, and um, and put themselves in a situation where now I think they're back in the mix. They've only got two losses in conference and, and they can fight their way back because they still control their destiny with Oklahoma state. Um, So Kansas state would be the one that's, already played oklahoma but they still have to play texas so uh
0: yeah that was that particular game you mentioned was uh in week eight so this past weekend and oklahoma state won 21 24 21 over i'm sorry
1: i'm I'm mixing up weeks, aren't I? No, no, it's fine. We
0: can we can talk about that because there were actually quite a few good games this weekend. Um, there really were. the The big upset was uh, Penn State playing against Indiana. Um, I did not watch that game, but I saw the uh, kind of yes. highlight on. Um, on ESPN and like five minutes left in the fourth quarter, Indiana was up by a touchdown. And then the two teams went like back and forth on scoring, you know, like in, uh Penn state scored to tie it. And then they scored again to go up by a touchdown, but they had just enough time left on the clock that Indiana was able to get back and tie up the ball game going into overtime. Uh, and then in the overtime, uh, the Indiana was like on a fourth and goal play. Like they had to score to, uh, uh, to or no, I'm sorry they they scored they had scored they scored right. their touchdown and then they went for a two point conversion to for the win or the loss basically like we're either win or lose here. and I saw their their quarterback couldn't get anything going on a pass so he made just this diving grab for the pylon and just barely barely scraped it. and so they won the game by one point.
1: <laughs> right. And uh, a huge win for Indiana and uh, I think Tom Allen is his name, the coach there who's building a really solid program there um, and, um, you know, is going to certainly be moving up the list, so to speak, but, uh, but, uh, and, and disappointing loss, obviously for Penn state, but if you look at the details of that game up until that last little bit of flurry, um, you know, um, really um, Penn state's defense had done a good job of, of throttling uh, uh, that uh, Indiana office for offense for most of the day. Um, uh, Turnovers had, led to some short fields and opportunities for, um, for Indiana to score and put up some points. And so Penn State basically shot themselves in the foot uh, on this particular day.
0: Right. Yep, which you know, and you know, first first game of the season after this whole situation, so you kind of expect some mistakes. Um, two other interesting upsets within the Big Ten as well. Um, Purdue beat Iowa 24-20, and Rutgers beat MSU, Michigan State.
1: 38-27. right, and that's that's probably the bigger eye opener for me was the second one. I mean, Purdue and Iowa are two good football teams that were just really battling it back and forth at each other. I mean, that was a tight game the whole way. But the uh, the, the the surprises to me for the Big Ten were um, were that uh, Rutgers really handling Michigan State pretty soundly, right? I mean that 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 was a game in which Rutgers was in the lead for. Uh, the majority of the game, if not the whole game, and uh, seemed to just flat out win the game. You know, they were the better team. Yeah. Uh, not not like the Penn State game. Yeah. And then the 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 other one that surprised me was Northwestern absolutely smashing Maryland, mm. uh, which surprised me a little bit too. Um, I did not expect. Number one, I know that Maryland has some real talent, uh, so I was a little surprised they didn't put up more of a a uh, uh, production uh, as a as a football team and uh, and Northwestern's ability to put that kind of offensive production together they they couldn't do that last year so so the the, the transfer quarterback from Indiana ironically uh, Ramsey is the real deal and and changes the the equation for Northwestern because they have what everyone knew going into the season was going to be one of the best defenses in the in the league and now they obviously have some talent at the quarterback position that they have not had in the past. Yep.
0: All right. Yep. Well putting them as more of a threat on the calendar as it were and looking ahead to next week's games in week nine, uh, there are a couple, another couple good ones in the big 10, as well as the big 12, um, Ohio state plays against Penn state, which was billed to be this, you know, big, uh, top 10 matchup, uh, but Penn right. State, of course, dropped down in the rankings pretty bad after their uh, opening right. with a loss. Uh, and then there's the classic from our state, uh, Michigan versus Michigan State. Yes. Which is always... And Michigan
1: looked really good uh, in in a victory against uh, a, a pretty talented, at least talented offensively, Minnesota team. Mm-hmm. So...
0: Yep. And then as you mentioned earlier, uh, Oklahoma state plays against Texas and they're kind of in control of their own destiny right now in the big 12. Uh, They're undefeated so far. So,
1: yep. If Oklahoma state can find a way to win that, win that game, boy, that's a, that will be a huge step. But you know, Oklahoma state's been in this situation a number of times over the years and they've found a way to screw that up. Mm -hmm. So until they actually can get over that hump uh, I, I, I can't quite be a believer, but, but I'm hopeful. I'm oh. hopeful that this is a year that they can do it. Cause I sure would love to see someone other than uh, Oklahoma coming out of the big 12 and, and being significant, you know, maybe in the college football playoff. All right. Cool. So,
0: well, let's go ahead and yeah. give uh some predictions then, which we always like to do. Uh, what okay. do you think on that Ohio state Penn state game?
1: Well, I think Ohio state, I think Ohio state is going to, is going to win that one. I think, uh, really we were we were a warm up for them we we did not match up athlete for athlete this is a game in which they're going to play a team that that can match them athlete not athlete for athlete but certainly more closely than we did uh and and as a result though i think they will be um they will be really locked in um and uh their defense will be better you know you always say that the team improves the most between the first and the second weeks I think that, that uh, Penn State has some real offensive problems that have not yet been addressed, uh, with the, you know some of the losses and talent that they had, um, and so I I just think a lot of the arrows point to Ohio State, and and frankly it's a game that's at Penn State, and usually this would be a night game, it would be the whiteout, you know the traditional whiteout, the place would be rocking, and it's not going to be, so so I think all of those things play to Ohio State's favor, so I'm going to say it's going to be a comfortable win for Ohio State. I'm going to say Ohio State wins. Maybe they don't score as much as they did against us. So I'm going to say um, 30, 35 to 17. Okay. Gotcha. Uh,
0: I've written down my score here. I also think Ohio State's going to win. Um, I put it at 38 28. Um, I think Penn State Ooh, will a little have closer. A, a little, yeah, I think they'll have a little more of a success on offense. Uh, but um, Justin Fields, you know, really looks like he's the real deal, a real Heisman contender this year. Um, So I think that, that Ohio state offense is going to be hard to stop, but their, their defense, you know, did show some holes, you know, if we had been more on top of our own game plan, you know, we would have scored more points on them. So uh, I think Penn state can do it. Uh, And then since you just talked about it, uh, how important it is, how about that Oklahoma state Texas game?
1: Yeah. And uh, you said that that is Oklahoma state at Texas, correct? Uh, let me look that up real quick. I don't know. Okay, please. Okay. Well, either way, uh, that doesn't change my opinion too much again in this year when there's not uh, a lot of fans in the stands, although Big 12 is doing a pretty good job of actually allowing a certain number of fans. So there will be some uh, crowd there. It, it is at
0: Oklahoma State.
1: Oh, is it? Yep. Okay, that well, then that makes me even feel better about my prediction that Oklahoma State's going to win this year. And, and the reason is because I think Oklahoma State's got some... Uh, really uh, solid um uh, offensive talent but what i think is different this year is it looks like they actually have some defense <laughs> which in the big 12 is like a new thing <laughs> <laughs> so so i have a feeling that because of oklahoma state's defense uh they win uh it will be close because texas has got a heck of an offense and they've got uh, you know that quarterback that texas has is a guy that just refuses to to ever give up and so you, you know, you, you can't just kind of beat Texas. You have to earn it to beat Texas because of that one guy. He just, he wills them to stuff that they wouldn't get otherwise. Yeah, and I, I'm, uh, I apologize. Sam can't Ellington, right? Yeah. Uh, El, uh, Ellinger. Ellinger, I think is the Ellinger. last name, not Ellington. But yes, that's the guy. And uh, he is, he is a player. Um, and uh, so he will keep it close. Uh, so I'm going to say it's going to be like a seven point victory but uh, Oklahoma State wins the game like uh, uh, there'll be a there will be a, it'll be low, low scoring and then a flurry of offense at the end, which is classic Big 12 football. And so it'll end up being um, I'm going to go with your score, um, 35, 28 um, um, uh, around that kind of a score. Uh, but most of those, you know, there'll be 14 points scored by each team in the fourth quarter.
0: Uh,
1: okay.
0: Interesting. Interesting. Uh, I think I'm also going to say Oklahoma State, but I'm going to say it's going to be a little bit more high scoring, uh, given the importance of the game and everything like that. Uh, So I'll go ahead and say, uh, let me think, 40. Yeah, let's go with 45 for Oklahoma State, and uh, and 31 for Texas. Okay. There we go. So last thing to talk about, of course, is the upcoming Nebraska game, which is against Wisconsin. Uh, They had a game against Illinois and crushed them 45 to seven with a new quarterback that showed off kind of what he can do. Uh, However, there is some uh, updates in regards to him that you want to share with the audience.
1: Yes. So, so yeah, I I mean, uh, this, some of this stuff is, is relatively uh, new information and it is, you know, yet to be determined really. But, um, uh, you know, the word got out that Graham Mertz, the quarterback who played so well against Illinois in Wisconsin's first game, who, who uh, understand going into the season was, was the backup to, uh, to the uh, returning starter from, uh, uh, from Wisconsin who was a, a guy by the name of Jack Cohen. And Jack has an injury, I think, to his foot, uh, and so he's going to be out for a while. So then uh, Graham got his first start, and he played perfectly. The guy was phenomenal, and he is a very talented quarterback, and it kind of pisses me off how talented that guy is. He really played well and uh, scares me given the fact that he's a redshirt freshman. Uh, But uh, um, then after the game, um, on Sunday they announced that – or they didn't announce. Some people got word through social media channels that he had tested positive for COVID. No confirmation from Wisconsin because they don't share – specifics of specific players unless and until, you know, they have to, right? Which is, uh, because of the big 10 rules, if in fact Mertz is uh, COVID positive, he's going to have to sit out for 21 days he's going to miss not only this Nebraska game, but the next two games as well. Um, and that will be really rough. And here's something that's new just within the last hour. Uh, the, the third string quarterback, Chase Wolf did not practice today. So. I don't know what the deal is there, uh, and no one seems to know. But Graham Mertz wasn't there, and Chase Wolf wasn't there. Who's the third stringer? So they might be looking at having to play their fourth string quarterback. Uh, yeah, I don't know. So uh, who who knows? Um, uh, and you you begin to wonder uh, if if Wisconsin uh, w- what's going to happen there if those turn out to be true. Now as Scott I'm I'm kind of with Scott Frost on this until these guys show up on the list of truly you know having uh confirmed covid um uh, the the antigen test is uh already showing itself to only be about 65% to 70% accurate meaning that it's set mm. up and kind of designed to be quick and easy but it also means that there's uh, a propensity for false positives. Yeah. I um, forget
0: on the past on our previous podcast, if uh, at that point Nick Saban had tested positive for COVID at that time, uh, but uh, he then took several tests after that, that all kept showing up negative and was showing no symptoms. And thus they kind of con- realized that the first test was probably a false positive, And so he ended up being allowed to coach and that game right. against Georgia. See,
1: and they don't have the protocols in place that the Big Ten does, okay? Mm. Nor do they have the rules in place that the Big Ten does. This is another thing where the Big Ten has, has set itself up clearly to protect its athletes and its coaches and, and everybody involved in the, in the sports program with all of this effort to test. But it's also set, set the, the teams up for them to not be able to complete the season uh, because of this, this situation. And I'm very, I'm actually hopeful this isn't the case because I have a feeling that if, if, if Mertz and this other kid both show up as having uh, confirmed COVID through a PCR test rather than just the antigen test, it's likely that there's going to be a few other players from that team that also show up. And it will be, it will, there's certainly a, a reasonable possibility that they won't be able to play this weekend because mm-hmm. then they'll, they'll exceed the 5% thing. And then uh, the Big Ten is going to shut it down. Um, So uh, because I can tell you that the state of uh, Wisconsin, much like the state of Nebraska, are already in the red zone, so to speak, for the the positivity percentage of the community uh, of the community. So so they already have the one red, but that red can be red as long as you're green on your team. Right. right. So, so um, um, but we'll see what happens.
0: We're going to speculate right now that uh, he is playing in the game. Absolutely. Uh, we'll Absolutely. go forward with that impression. Um, now, the good news, if we can put put a silver lining on our first game here, is that hey, we played our toughest opponent right out of the gate. So it's all kind of you know, downhill from here in terms of difficulty, you know, based on your preseason expectations. Uh, But of course, Wisconsin has had our number since we joined the Big 10 and is one of our biggest rivals. Um,
1: Well, but there's a different, yeah. Wisconsin represents a different challenge, right? They're not going to out athlete us athlete for athlete, right? Right. I mean, they're just, they're not, but they have some great athletes. Don't get me wrong. But, but we have some great athletes, too. We, we just don't have near the number that, say, Ohio State does. Now, with, with, with Wisconsin, though, they're all so extremely well-coached. They are phenomenal in their defensive scheme. In fact, I would argue that, that their defense will be better than the Ohio State defense. We're going to struggle to move the football more against Wisconsin than we did t- uh, against Ohio State. Because I believe, number one, you're talking about first game versus second game. And number two, uh, Ohio State's defense, although full of future NFL players, was very young and had to replace a lot of talent. Wisconsin had a lot of people returning from its defense and, and is just going to be probably one of the best defenses in the country uh, uh, this year by the end of the season, probably. So uh, we've got to find a way to overcome that defense, which was phenomenal. I mean, they, they completely shut down Illinois. Um, so that's number one, and number two, Wisconsin's offense has a history now that that dates back 20 plus years, right, of being physically dominant, and uh, and that's not what uh, Ohio State tried to do to us. Ohio State just out athleted us. Well, this this team is going to line up, do some great play action passing, and just beat the hell out of us, and and that's a whole different animal, right? So you right. can't. You almost have to throw out the Ohio State game from a from a, a defensive standpoint and say, can our guys line up and play smashmouth football with Wisconsin for four quarters? Right. And I, I don't know.
0: Right. Well, I, I would say I definitely have more confidence in that compared to last year after, uh, what we saw in the Ohio state game, you know, that the, we, we were playing with some physicality, you know, it seems like the, the, over, and yep. just the overall like mentality of the team, like we weren't getting, right. you know, super down in the dumps, even when we were behind, you know, the players were yep. still playing hard, uh, which was good to yep. see. Um, but, uh, With Wisconsin, you know, they've always had great running games, you know, and they always have an amazing running back every season, it feels like. Um, But with this new quarterback – uh, presuming that he plays, uh, now they might have a really solid passing threat as well, uh, beyond what they've had in the past, and that combination could present a real problem. So, um, I personally have more hope based on what I saw that our offense will be able to get get stuff going, you know, and get some points scored. Um, but the defense was just so. Unable to protect the pass against Wisconsin, uh, that's what I'm my, my or I'm sorry, against Ohio State. That's my make it. are going to the Wisconsin game. Will we be able to slow them down
1: enough to pull out a W? Right, uh, and and now keep in mind we're going to be doing that with half of our secondary out for yeah. the first half. <laughs> So, the and they, they do such a good job and merch did such a good job uh uh of play action passing and their their tight ends were running wide open their receivers were running pretty wide open i mean his passes one of the reasons he was so, so successful was he it was pitch and catch man he was just throwing the ball to um you know whoever um um pretty easily and that tight end had a spectacular game and clearly is a very good receiver yeah so So Um, I'm, I'm very concerned. concerned.
0: (laughs) Yep. But, but Hey, well, once again, like if we were looking at this before the season, you know, a month ago, uh, we would put, most people would put both Ohio state and Wisconsin as losses. Um, So we're playing with nothing to lose here. Whereas uh, they do have things to lose because they're you know contenders for winning the big 10 and that sort of thing. Uh, So let's go in with that mentality. We're playing at home in Lincoln. Uh, Yep. So what are you thinking in terms of score for this upcoming game?
1: You know, before the, before the suspensions and immediately after the Ohio state game, I would have probably said, you know what? I liked what I saw enough. If I knew I had all my players that I would have said, I think we can play with, with uh, Wisconsin. As time has gone on here in the last 48 hours, I've become less confident, so I regretfully I'm going to have to say that, uh, uh, especially because uh, apparently our talented, our guy, our athletic receivers, our guys with the pure athletic talent at the receiving position, have not yet matured enough to be able to see the field, um, whether it be for reasons that they don't understand the offense, or they don't have the maturity to, to and discipline to to not make enough bonehead mistakes uh, within, you know, their assignments, whether it be going on the wrong route or, or blocking the wrong guy, or just not being physical as a blocker, whatever the reasons are, our talent is not on the field. Our guys that make minimal mistakes are on the field right now. And unless, until I see that group of personnel change, I think that that hamstrings our offense considerably and and uh, I need to see a game where we actually let, that, let the dog out, so to speak, with some of that talented receiving core before I can ever believe that we could compete against a perennial top 20 program like Wisconsin and win. So I'm going to have to pass and say Nebraska uh, plays hard. Nebraska plays better and shows, like they did against Ohio State, um, examples of how we're better than we were last year. And that we're on the come, and you know, that we have some youth movement going on, and all those kind of good signs. But at the end of the day, we don't have enough offense or enough defense to outscore Wisconsin, which is that's what it will take. We would have to find some way to outscore Wisconsin uh, because I think Wisconsin's going to score quite a bit on our defense. So uh, I'm going to say we lose. I'm going to say it's going to be close for maybe three quarters. I'm going to say we're going to. We're going to battle with them like we often do to halftime. And then sometime in the third quarter, uh, Wisconsin's going to just make the decision to shift it into low gear, run the football 25 times in a row, and we're not going to be able to stop them. And uh, and when they come out the other side, they're going to have about a 20-point win. So I'm going to say um, let's do uh, 45-24 Wisconsin.
0: Twenty-four Wisconsin.
1: All right. Um,
0: I generally agree with your assessment overall, and I certainly think us having those two players out in our secondary because of the the targeting uh, is definitely going to hurt us in the first half. Which then you know we would hope that uh, maybe the strategy for our coaches will then become kind of a you know let's let's do what we can in the first half. You know just try to hold out, slow them down, and we get our guys back in the second half. You know if we're not super far behind already, uh, then, uh, then we can, you know, pick up the pace and change to a more aggressive style, you know, something along those lines. Uh, so I'm going to predict that Wisconsin wins, but I'm going to say it'll be closer than what you said. Uh, so I'll go, go go ahead. ahead.
1: No, you go ahead. I'm sorry. I was interrupting.
0: All right. So I'll say it'll be, uh, Wisconsin 38 and Nebraska 31. All right, I love
1: that. And you know what? Uh, here's the thing. I do. I believe Nebraska is capable of of beating Wisconsin. Yes. If you had asked me while I was reading, you know, the um, the articles about our recruits from the recent uh, recruiting classes, and you know how how hard the players have worked and everything like that, but I, I just got to admit that having watched that Ohio State game, unless they're hiding something. Our defense is going to be younger and more athletic uh, than it was last year. And we have a mature secondary, but we, we, that got torched by this whole ridiculous targeting thing. And so, one of the, one of the, the great strengths that might have helped us is gone. And because uh, I would have told you this was going to be our coming out party. You know, before the season, I would have said, This is going to be our coming out party. We're going to beat Wisconsin this year. Uh, but with all the weird shit going on COVID, all the other complexities, and now these losing these two players uh, to the, the stupid targeting, I just don't think we have enough defense to slow them down. I think they're going to they're going to pretty much have their way with us.
0: Right. Yeah. And I will definitely admit I am being optimistic. Um, of course, if their star quarterback here uh, can't play the game, then of course it's oh. a whole different ball game at that point.
1: Absolutely. Uh, but, yep. I, I would agree. But we'll, we'll I would f- agree. That that changes it. Yep.
0: But we'll figure that out on game day.
1: In, in fact, I, I felt we would have had a better chance with Co- Cohen uh, as the starter than Mertz anyway from the very beginning. As soon as I heard that Cohen was hurt, I was disappointed because right. I knew that Mertz was the better few. His ceiling is way higher than Cohen's. Cohen's not playing on Sunday. Mertz probably will. Right.
0: All right. So hope you all out there enjoyed listening to this episode. You can email us at huskerpete13 at gmail.com. You can also find us online at footballthrowdown.podomatic.com. You can find us on iTunes and Apple podcasts and leave us a review. We always love hearing from the fans. So thank you all out there for listening, and thank you, Dad, for joining me on this episode. And until next time, Go Big Red!
1: Go Big Red!